0: Listen to me. Traitor, I believe that you've received the death message from our Ninja Empire. Ninja is supreme and you have double crossed it. Why did you do that? I have to reform the Ninja Empire. That is why I took away. That is why I took away. The Golden
1: Ninja Warrior. The Golden Ninja Warrior. You've got three days in which to return the Golden Ninja Warrior. Right? (laughs) 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 Welcome to the Golden Ninja Podcast 8 on Ninja The Protector and Majestic Thunderbolt. And for episode 8, we do an essential thing. Talk of our favorite IFT cut and paste action pictures. Notice I said action, because it's not strictly Ninja we're talking about during this episode. Prior to their first ninja action picture, Ninja Thunderbolt, I have tried the filmmaking formula, cut and paste that is, with modern thrillers, starring Richard Harrison as well. And that's where the brutal and cleverly executed, in my opinion, Majestic Thunderbolt comes in. But that's in the second half, and that's my favorite. But our first half contains Ed Glazer's favorite, Ninja The Protector, which mixes Taiwanese Presumably Taiwanese. We have some problem identifying it, but uh, it makes this Taiwanese melodrama and ninjas. How can that go wrong? Well, can it go wrong? Right, I'm the new viewer to it, so I'm, I'm going to give you my view on, on its pros and cons. But anyway, we settle in for a nice, comfy time reviewing our favorites. And I'm Canopy, And with me is, therefore, Neon Harvested Glazer. So say hello, buddy.
0: Born a ninja, die a ninja.
1: You've learned that, finally, and you started living it.
0: Oh yeah, well, of course.
1: But anyway, let's uh, get into our favorites and have a joyous discussion about that after some brief contact information. And this is the Golden Ninja Podcast on the Podcast on Fire network. We are located on podcastify.com, where you'll find this show and a variety of other shows on various Asian cinema. And we even do bonus episodes every now and again, exclusive to the website. If you have any questions or feedback, and we've had some wonderfully extensive feedback from a listener or two on this particular show i always have well the, the theory of man came through that sort of cult and niche cinema if you will has some pretty passionate fans that when given the chance and in a sort of safe environment and gets it, and uh, when they can relate to other people relating to it as well the words come out you know what i mean like, like their, their their passion comes out in terms of writing and all of that and we got some pretty um like very verbal feedback on this show and a very po- very positive one so i thank you for that listeners and uh keep them coming if you want to hear a particular godfrey ho movie reviewed or uh, bruce livingstone movie reviewed
0: <laughs> then, then
1: hit us up at podcast on fire at googlemail.com everybody likes bruce livingstone you know the filmmark legend that is bruce livingstone or joe
0: Joe, I I think you mean Joe Livingstone Bruce Livingstone is his lesser known brother Yeah,
1: I don't know if he ever got a chance to direct his film But uh, we'll we'll see If we encounter him ever The Livingstone legacy is uh, quite something But uh, we are also on social media, like our page on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash p o f network, and follow the general updates and discussion going on in the discussion group that is called Podcast on Fire Network and that's how you'll find it when you search for it. And our Twitter handle is at Podcast on Fire. I write about these movies, Taiwanese uh, late 70s, early 80s movies and Taiwanese mad movies. Category free Sleazy Adult Cinema, and in general a variety of genres over at SoGoodReviews.com and I video review at SleazyKVideo.com and my Twitter handle is at SoGoodReviews. And the Golden Ninja podcast is available on iTunes. Uh, Rate and subscribe and if you have a little uh, space in your day and if you have something to say about the show, please leave a written comment on iTunes. That would be very much appreciated. You can write comments over on Stitcher Radio as well. And the advantage to that is that you don't need to download our podcasts uh, to uh, to listen to us on Stitcher Radio. It's just, it's a streaming service. They have an online presence, but also a free application available on the Apple App Store and Google Play. And finally, on my end, we always link to the the, the blog, the sporadically uh, active blog, but there's an excuse for that, as I'll say in a minute. Golden Ninja Warrior Chronicles, the Jesus Perez Melina blog, Featuring a lot of articles identifying the source movies in a variety of IFD and filmock movies, in particular the Taiwanese movies, so I think that's a very valuable work. And the reason he's been sporadically blogging is the fact that he's written a book that's now out, it's called Golden Ninja Invasion, and then a Spanish title that I think means essentially the secrets of IFD and filmock. So it's only in Spanish right now, but uh, that's a very valuable resource, I'm sure, and we all Kind of think of Jesus as sort of our master, our Sifu here. We all look up to his his work, and we all try to further that, even though he's very modest about it. But that's how I view things. I'm very uh, I admire his uh, passion for it, and I think he's even been interviewed for the upcoming Mike Leader co-produced uh, documentary Neon Grindhouse, which will cover a variety of genres, including adult movies from Hong Kong and godfrey ho movies and they've actually interviewed godfrey ho not joe livingstone that's not him but the actual godfrey ho that only was godfrey ho or benny ho so look for neon grindhouse uh, sometime in the future that'll be pretty cool we weren't asked but i think that's uh, to be expected should ask you though because you've done stuff Ed, and w- <laughs> and that leads us neatly into your plug like uh, where are you on the web and what's uh what's present within the walls of neon harbor
0: Oh, sure. Um, well, you can find uh, my films and web series, including Ninja the Mission Force, which is a satire of the IFD and filmmark movies at neonharbor.com, uh, the second season of which on DVD comes with a copy of uh, Ninja the Protector, which we'll be discussing on this show. I'm also on Facebook at facebook.com slash neonharbor and on Twitter at twitter.com slash neon underscore harbor.
1: Excellent. Excellent. Well, Let's not um, delay it anymore. Let's play some music that will kind of be redundant. This music will be heard uh, in the latter half of the show as well, kind of, because we use the music chosen for Ninja The Protector as our outro. That uh, very, very cheered. Like, it's very, like, you you get in a mood to watch the movie when it's so upbeat. And uh, we'll share our views on Ninja The Protector from 1986 after that musical break. And welcome back, and in the first half, it's Ed's favorite IFD, cut and ninja picture that we're going to review. It's called Ninja, the Protector, from 1986, and therefore I'll leave it to Ed to describe the plot. Like, for once, Ed was the adult here and said, like, let the adults work, and you can you sit down, and let me tell you That's exactly right. how a plot is read, and is going to be
0: read properly here. So take it away, Ed, what's Ninja, the Protector about? All right. Richard Harrison leads a special police unit out to arrest the brains behind a counterfeiting operation that uses modeling as its front. It's masterminded by Bruce, David Bowles, who is also, of course, a ninja. Harrison sends in undercover agent Warren, Walun from the original film, and it seems they merely anglicized his real name for his characters, uh, Wa Warren. But he gets a little too involved, alienating his girlfriend and brother David, Lee Mew Chan. Meanwhile, Richard Harrison is moonlighting as a vigilante ninja, and a military camo print ninja, no less. Capturing Bruce's henchmen and anonymously tipping off his baffled junior officers, Andy and John, so that they can make the arrests. Inevitably, the stage is being set for Harrison's ultimate battle with Bruce... Because only a ninja can defeat a ninja.
1: There you go. You should write box art uh, like plot summaries as well. If uh, they were still releasing these movies in English language territory.
0: <laughs> well, I'm cheating a little bit because I kind of used your 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 synopsis uh, and and kind of paraphrased it. So, but it wasn't as sexy, so that's why you got
1: to read it. Like the that, that sounds like the, an epic masterpiece of uh, ninjitsu, but it's ninjutsu IFD style, and depending on the viewer you are. That's uh, nothing at all, and depending on the viewer you are as well, that's a whole lot of good fun. And uh, obviously, it is your favorite. Ed. But in short, despite, for the sake of, uh, sake of uh, organizing this discussion, in short, what do you want to say about
0: your like or love for Ninja Ver First of all, it has uh, ninjas fighting each other on motorcycles, so there's that. It's just a really fun one. You've got a lot of cool ninja stuff. It's not, um, it's not just a rote. Death list movie, as you call them, where there's another movie, and then every so often it cuts to Richard Harrison or somebody just killing another ninja, and then cutting right back. Uh, it's got some uh, some interesting kind of connections and things, but I, I just I it's hard for me to quantify, but I, I find it entertaining.
1: I agree. It's a lot of fun and contains quotable IFD stuff that you said.
0: Oh, yeah, of course. Yes, it's got some of the most quotable Mm -hmm. uh, IFD stuff out there, including Only Ninja Can Defeat a Ninja. What's a ninja? Just a fairy tale. They don't exist. Uh, Born and Ninja, Die Ninja, and all that good stuff.
1: It works a hell of a lot better their footage than the source movie melodrama here, in my opinion. It's not my favorite Ninja The Protector, but it is a good showcase for what IFT were trying to do for the market at that time in 1986. Including this fearless nature on behalf of them, since they didn't combine action with ninja action, but ninja action and essentially a sort of romantic uh, melodrama, triangular relationship kind of melodrama with some brawling. But it's not an action movie from that genre that they picked from Taiwan. Like, we we, we should preface the whole discussion with this, that we watched a movie that's a version of the movie. That's 68 minutes. Normally, IFD and Fieldmark, they were very calculated. They normally produced... At tops 90 minute movies in this case originally this was 85 so the version we're watching that's thankfully in widescreen it was shortened uh, even more I have uh, a theory based on a friend's theory why it was shortened at all it's 17 minutes shorter but we'll, we'll get to that but in my opinion these movies were sometimes a chore at 90 minutes uh, like had good fun every now and again but sometimes could be completely boring and uh, d- despite you knowing the fact that it's gonna end in 85 or 90 that's a general statement not for this one but if i ask you d- despite this calculated nature was 90 minutes ever a chore for you when it comes to these movies at ifd or film own so, Captain cut and paste action picture line
0: Oh yeah, I mean all the time. Um, Not for every single one, but uh, lots of them. Yes, absolutely. Especially when uh, the ninja footage was few and far between. When they really didn't even bother to connect it. Yes, it can be kind of miserable. And for this one, I did also rewatch the 90 minute version because I I do have that one on DVD as well. And it's okay at at 90 minutes. I think it's really fun at 68. Um, At at 90, it's um, or 85 rather. There's some stuff in there that just needed to go, and I'm really glad that it did.
1: Yeah, you you could, if you were a focused editor, take the IFD product and do a careful re-edit to sh- shorten it even more. Like it would it would have been effective, I think, to look at even to shorten even their footage to see if their footage is bland and even redundant. Like take out one one minute ninja fight in a movie with five ninja fights, maybe that would work. So yeah, I
0: well, they they did actually um in this one and um elsewhere. Uh, this one does t- the 68 minute version of this one does take out one of the new ifd sequences uh, which is a shame because I kind of like it but ifd re-edited nearly all of their ninja films as a TV series called ninja myth uh cutting them all down to about 60 minutes for television wow which I've never seen no
1: that, that has never turned up anywhere I, I I think that would be could be a nice experience to see condensed into the essence uh, or the essentials so hmm uh, yeah, something to look for to live the life
0: of a ninja is a sacred way
1: to live when we take up the mission we must succeed or die Boy Boy a ninja, ninja die a ninja. ninja they must have been judging by the production timeline of years of production they must have been a ninja movie of two or three into their run now i think Ninja by Protector is fairly early on after the first one, Ninja Thunderbolt, came out. So that's my question also to you. By now, they had a feel for the work needed to create a cut and paste action picture, but we know the sort of quality diminished as the years went by. But how's the level of creativity and even cinematic quality in? their footage, in, in your opinion here.
0: It's good. It's very uh, action-packed. It, it keeps things very quick. And because it's not a death list movie, uh, the, some of the new IFD scenes have a little bit more interest to them. So you've got uh, Richard Harrison's underlings, Andy and John, going around and doing stuff and having some comedic moments by finding all of these ninjas tied up against trees and uh, wondering what the deal is and what the heck a ninja is and uh, all kinds of silliness like that.
1: This movie contains tropes that are not necessarily the 28,000th time we've seen them. It even opens with a, so to say, high-tech retina scan sequence for that all the ninjas need to go through to get into the ninja clubhouse.
0: So th- that's one of my favorite things about this is that um, they find a really clever way through that to connect the two movies together. And uh, it's sort of very cheap, but it does the job. You see the ninjas entering uh, a hallway in this fancy house. They're all dressed in their ninja gear. Uh, They face the wall. Uh, We cut to a a very extreme close-up of a camera lens, uh, cut to the ninja's face. Uh, then cut to a photograph or still image of a character's face from either movie,
1: including uh, including Four Eyes, the big guy who's clearly who's clearly not the same guy in the ninja in, in the ninja outfit.
0: <laughs> also, also Susan, the the lady counterfeiter, and uh, and then you see elevator doors open and they, they jump in. And so the you know the implication is that uh, the characters that we see in the original film, the Taiwanese film, are also ninjas in the other film, and I I like that.
1: It, it is a quite a smooth way and even clever way to connect uh, connect the movies I've seen lazier uh, we've seen lazier ways and uh, we, oh, we've yeah. seen uh, ways where they that weren't ways at all they just never bothered to connect anything like the ultimate ninja i don't know if you remember but i think it only has one scene essentially of stewart smith talking to the thai movie and that's pretty much it like it's very mm-hmm. bare in that regard and we get the uh intro of some middle-aged bearded guy bruce uh, n- not like pie may style bearded you know uh pie from various Shaw brothers movies uh, and obviously uh, from kill bill 2 the gordon liu character was kind of a this uh old white beard master that's not what we get here. We get this guy.
0: He's kind of scruffy looking.
1: A little bit scruffy looking. But they needed the obviously Western faces front and center. This was the their uh, theory of market demand. So uh, obviously they populated with a variety of Chinese or Hong Kong performers. But that's why we get sometimes random guys. But we the Western feel of the production needed to be maintained here. That, that's good. And also Godfrey Ho... And crew they're, they're setting up a film and film shots here that are you know fairly creative it looks like a film it looks like they thought about setting up the shots a little bit more than latter pictures uh, and uh, I, I appreciate the tiny glimpses into cinematic quality because sometimes we didn't get anything at all really and uh, it looks like they're having a little bit more fun during these initial one two or even three years of uh, the cut and paste uh, action picture line
0: this is my present It's Black Dog. Yeah, one of Bruce's men. But why is he dressed like this? Only a ninja can defeat a ninja. What's a ninja? Not now. I'll tell you later.
1: We we obviously get some tropes here, including uh, you get the uh, briefing held by Richard. And uh, the exposition dump is aided by a variety of photographs of the players involved that they want to arrest and... The undercover in this case, Warren. They have a picture of him, and it's all obviously these badly. It almost looks like they're all f- photographed off the TV of the original movie. But it's it's sufficient, obviously, exposition to get clarity into this picture. Because clarity, as you know Ed, was not a luxury that were given <laughs> that were given to us in these movies. They were, they could be pretty confusing. Uh, but I, but I love the fact that when they share Bruce, the the, the chief chief villain. A the picture to have of him is him on the phone. Uh-huh. <laughs> because that's the only obvious. Like, he has three variations of his scenes. Obviously, this intro we talked of, him on the phone, and the ending. So you must show a clear picture of him. Well, we shot him on the phone. Take a picture of him on the phone. We'll use it in a scene.
0: That would be good. And, and when you say him on the phone, you're not talking about him like as a ninja on a phone in his ninja lair. We're talking about... Uh, we're talking about... This guy in a suit with his red tie in an office, uh, looking very businessy, uh, doing his ninja business, I guess, on his nice office phone.
1: Not Garfield phone. There's no not a hint of a Garfield phone in this movie. I forget. Was there even a ninja headband in this one? No. No, there wasn't. Nope that that legacy, that era had not begun yet, but it would, and uh, that's uh, that's uh, a story for another time and a latter let part of the filmography. They talk of uh, obviously setting up the various uh, police officers uh, in this room. Uh, they have different uh, tasks. Uh, some of them will work with Warren, uh, Andy, and John will take care of Bruce, and that leads us into the question that uh, I want you to. Tacklehead, how much will they work with warren ed and i e how much of this i t. footage interacts with Warren or even Bruce for that matter
0: none of the um uh the hero stuff or uh there's one there's one telephone sequence uh we'll call it one and a half telephone sequences between richard harrison and and warren and and that's it.
1: Is it ever a problem, you think, or it's, it's fun elsewhere that it didn't need to desperately connect itself through room conversations or phone conversations that way?
0: Yeah, I think it was fine. Um, I also think that it's bolstered by the fact that the villains connect to the the new plot. So the the, the, the villains of the two films connect through these uh, silly ninja ninja conference sequences
1: yeah exactly uh nerdy, nerdy detail on my behalf there's a brief sequence with susan in the other movie talking to a lady that's uh, apparently buying these uh, counterfeit money and she says she's pleased with the forgery quality and uh, she's talking with her on the phone that footage turns up in, in diamond ninja force as well
0: look i've got the stuff the quality is quite good this time thanks linda that's right you tried some new printing I'll need a hundred
1: thousand more for the next time. Do you think you can do that? Sure, no problem at all. We'll start at once. I think Richard calls her, the Western lady, to look after the family, the cursed family in Diamond Ninja Force. And then they cut to something startling her outside the window and there's like a mask that lights up, that's lit up in green or something like that and that's the extent of her scene in Diamond Ninja Falls. So here's some piece of footage that they recycled because it was neutral enough. You usually expect action to be paired up with ninja action. Uh, this, we we know that IFD had examples of picking up a drama, dramatic movie and a horror movie to combine with their ninja action plot, which they did with Diamond Ninja Force in a rather enjoyable way. But it's always a surprise to me when the source isn't an action movie, because you'd think that they'd run with that. It might be a case of IFT picking up a selection of movies and using most of what they got, including the action movies and the melodrama that they picked up from Taiwan. And it is melodramatic, it's more of a drama, but it opens with a beach action scene 10 minutes into the movie but it's a rare inclusion in this movie and it's not meant to be an action movie, it's uh, meant to be a dramatic piece underneath the IFT footage but that begs the question in general how how do you find that nation of notion rather, of mixing ninja action with an almost unrelated genre, is that awful to you and or is it even or is it enjoyable as a matter of fact
0: it usually is pretty awful when it's melodrama uh for example ninja commandments i just can't stand uh with its family melodrama plot
1: that lasts for about 50 60 years and the ninjas do not age <laughs> i like that
0: <laughs> yes there, and there are elements of course that uh are definitely entertaining but on the whole not so fond of it this one Is an exception for me, and I can't entirely put my finger on why, but I will say that uh, there are a few good action sequences, not kung fu action, but just action sequences. There is an element of intrigue, I think, throughout the film where you're, which kind of keeps you interested and, and makes you wonder what's going to happen next and what's going to happen with these characters it keeps me more interested than some of the all-action movies and if you look at something like ninja terminator one of the things that really keep, keeps your interest about that film is the crazy stuff that happens in the ninja story but the original film content is just the hero kicking people um like non-stop I never really felt engaged in that story because there really wasn't a story. He was just going around kicking people. This was enough to kind of keep me interested. The ninja scenes had some action. This movie had some action. And that, I think, helped a lot.
1: I would agree. I just never thought that the um, it broke through. It felt like not the cheapest melodrama to me, but uh, it it never felt affecting within the confines of the uh, edit here and obviously IFD dubbing it. Uh, but uh, maybe the original... Holds a little bit more uh, effect. Who knows? But they, it's um, it's not my favorite. I I watch. Granted, I watch m- more of these, and most of them were awful. So like when it the, the melodrama goes up to a little bit higher than it should, then I kind of tune out. So that that's why I have a slight problem with the uh, source footage. But I have a good time when IFD comes in, and all of a sudden, boom! It's a ninja picture because we get the first of uh, three or four that's present in our version of. Richard Harrison and his stunt double in this camouflage ninja outfit in broad daylight I should say of course <laughs> because uh, that that'll be uh, that'll be under the radar well it, it is under the radar because they fight in a small little tunnel that you can go through with your uh, bicycle i suppose and it's a fairly good action scene it's too short for my liking but you you get this example that we mention a lot of times that the mix of the posing done by in this case, the Westerner, in the case of uh, Richard Harrison, in this case, and uh, whoever he's fighting with. I don't. I think this is one of the Hong Kong uh, cost. That mix of them posing, doing a little bit of action, and the acrobatic stuntman, exchanging mostly uh, mostly it's weapons-based, this choreography, that exchange is always often always, anyway, very competent and fun. It's always too short in these movies, though. It's like below one minute fight scenes. Sometimes they're really pathetic, too, too. Like there's one slash and then it's over. But here we get some acrobatics and uh, some fire elements are brought in in terms of the ninja weaponry that's used here. So it's good fun. It's uh, All of the action scenes, I think, hold up to a nice degree and they showcase one of the reasons why these movies are kind of underrated. Because the technical quality and the fight choreography is, in my opinion, quite um, even stirring to, to a degree. It, it's really good fun.
0: What's a ninja? <laughs> Just a fairy tale. They don't exist. Don't forget about the uh, the very limp-wristed throwing star throwing.
1: Yeah, I, you know what? It, it was fun. I was watching that and I thought like, because I, I expected this to be the regular death list movie where... He kills everybody. That's on the death list, and it look—it's like, what was that limb action about? They may have been sloppy, but the twist is it that, and why this isn't the death list movie. So, I want to talk of the fact that um, Richard Harrison isn't there as bloodthirsty as in other movies. So.
0: Right, yeah, absolutely. His his uh you know, he's being kind of a vigilante in capturing them so that and, and then kind of leaving them to be picked up by Andy and and John, his police underlings, he'll tip them off, go to his phone, get his car phone out and be like, Is Andy there? You should come to this place. There's a present waiting for you.
1: My God, what, where did Ed go? Who was that? Yeah. <laughs> because that's as convincing as Richard is here. He has this car phone that's a wireless car phone. I don't think uh, it actually. It was just a regular phone from the office that was wireless. Like, he just puts his hand a little bit over the phone. And you better go and pick up someone. Like, I've left you a present. And that, that leads it into some mild but rather cute body cop Banter where Andy Shirowski and whoever the other guy is, pardon me if I haven't identified him properly, where they find him. Oh, this is my present, and uh, and they find like uh, that he's a ninja, and that leads us into the recurring dialogue and joke, joke and joke. It's a recurring dialogue at least, but it's light-hearted. Uh, where someone asks three, four times, "What's a ninja?" and what's the standard reply that uh, Richard Harrison g- uh, gives them in that case? It's just a fairy tale. They don't exist. No, of course they don't. But they will at the end of this movie. They'll find out. <laughs>
0: That's right. Yeah, every, every time uh, they find the, uh, one of the ninjas tied up, they're like, who did this to you? And, the guy, and they're like, only a ninja can defeat a ninja. See? What's a ninja? Don't worry, I'll tell you later. Exactly. Well, like one of the guys
1: actually knows, apparently, based on that dialogue exchange. But I mentioned Andy sharowski as the sort of blonde, uh, blonde one out of uh, those um, that duo. And you've interviewed Andy, and you've even featured him in Ninja of the Mission Force, I believe, though. Yes. So do you remember, if what was Andy's career trajectory within IFD? Was he one of those dubbers that got a chance to act and got at least uh, one larger role in in an IFD movie?
0: You pretty much nailed it. Um, He got to start doing uh, dubbing. I think a school friend of his or something got into it and, and got him interested in it. And then he did a bunch of dubbing for IFD. Uh, it was pretty good work, and um, occasionally Godfrey Ho would come in and be like, "Can you work Tuesday?" Or I'm gonna, we're, getting, we're doing, it, we're shooting a movie, and so then he'd go and show up in whatever clothes he was wearing that day, and he'd be told that he was a cop, and they'd just do a scene. And uh, apparently, it, it was uh, he got paid less money to do the on-screen acting than he did to do the dubbing. Wow.
1: Well, uh, at least he got a little bit of uh, money out of it Therefore, if he dubbed uh, a couple of movies. Can you spot his voice watching a variety of these movies or you're not that
0: good yet? Yeah, I think so. I, I, I've, not, I've not asked him for verification on all of them, but uh, there's a lot where I'm pretty sure that's him. I arrested another fairy tale yesterday. A ninja is supposed to be unbeatable. I'd like to meet a real ninja one day. Don't tell me you believe in ninjas.
1: And he, he's also briefly in Diamond Ninja Force but uh, and he gets a not a fight scene with Richard. I believe he pulls his gun and then gets sort of a weapon to the to the stomach or body and that's uh, yeah. that's the extent of his uh, confrontation with Richard. Like I love Diamond Ninja Force but it's one of those really short and calculated death list scenes that uh, kind of dies too quickly But uh, be, be, uh, because they didn't use a lot of doubles in those scenes. They used uh, um like he he wasn't fighting ninjas necessarily he was just fighting different guys
0: yeah and um i think before possibly before the ifd movies he was in one other uh, hong kong film with uh, chan Wai man where he played a, a, a mafia guy in uh, city ninja aka rocky's love affairs <laughs> aka something else i don't know
1: awesome awesome all yeah. time, but i'm watching that that sounds that sounds adult
0: it's, uh, yeah, sure. There's some really, like, awful sex on um, gym equipment.
1: Speaking of awful sex, back to the Taiwanese movie. Yeah, there's movie. tons of it in this. Yes. We, we even miss one. It's not too awful, but we miss one sex scene in this version. And, and it's, I, I wonder how the Taiwanese movie works, because the cuts are pretty jarring for dramatic purposes and certainly for some, in terms of how the sex even happens. Uh, because Warren plays um, a model. He's an undercover cop model there's a movie to be to be done like uh, maybe that was the this was the inspiration for the sandra bullock movie that came out way later
0: <laughs> oh yeah totally no doubt
1: <laughs> miss Con, you know, something something warren gets invited by susan to her villa because he's done good he's made money and they must have had ed sort of a non-verbal thing going on because he gets the invitation boom they're running along the beach together and eventually they have sex within a minute that's how it works in this movie
0: Ter- terrible sex they're like on the when they're on the beach, like right up against the, the water, and it's like muddy and sandy and gross, and then there's and then there's this shot where like she's laying on top of him, not moving, like she's like a corpse. And we just see Warren kind of fumbling at the the bottom of her swimsuit and then just kind of rubs her butt. And then and like that's it. Like you just see some hand motion. Uh, from him and otherwise they just are completely motionless and it's just the worst
1: you you, you wonder it is the worst and you wonder if like so Su- Su- this is like a boy toy setup like susan has a new boy toy but oh yeah it like, like, like like it's it's somewhat re- refreshing of course to see a woman like steering this and getting her pleasure uh, but uh still it's pretty awful i wanted to ask i love the dubber of david bowles if it is david bowles voice this uh who plays bruce This deep, raspy voice. I mean, reminded me of what Brad Jones did for the Bruce character in Ninja: The Mission Force, and that begs the question: Were you echoing or riffing on this dubbing performance? Of course, absolutely. I I mean, Ninja: The
0: Mission Force. I'm sorry, Ninja: The Protector was really like the primary inspiration for Ninja: The Mission Force, and that's why our villain is named Bruce. That's why he kind of dresses the same, and uh, and all of those kinds of things. And so, yes, the voice is very much in the same. Uh, in the same vein
1: because it's very low like that a little bit like it's not rude he's not coming at you it's a uh, very low
0: key it's subtle <laughs> to live the life of a ninja is a sacred way to live when we take up the mission we must succeed or die listen susan tiger was killed i'll find out who did it but tell albert to watch out oh uh, right right i'll tell him
1: Obviously, we move on in, in the um, in the Taiwanese movie that wasn't about ninjas, of course, and it probably wasn't about as much killing as it is when connected with the scenes of Richard Harrison either killing or trapping these ninjas. But uh, but I love a very odd scene in the Taiwanese movie where Susan meets Albert or Four Eyes in the hallway, and they're kind of glad to see each other, and the ca- it's casual hallway convo that's about that tiger's been killed, so be on the lookout. Bye, I gotta go. <laughs>
0: Being killed Boss wants you to keep a low profile, I must rush now,
1: you know it's so like they have to put it somewhere, mm-hmm, it's like that someone is killing us uh, killing our men, our fellow ninjas, but it's such a almost like where are we gonna put it where where's a good scene? I guess that scene kind of works, but it's clearly not about that. that's why I kind of like yeah he's been killed and kind of be on the lookout. he's not even shocked the character of Albert or Four Eyes. so it's one of those. It goes here and it'll be fine. You just continue creating the cut and paste product Product here. And don't worry about it. And I don't, really.
0: Uh, there's a fair bit of that in the film. And there's one sequence. I think it takes place just before that one. The original film seems to be about a guy who becomes a model and then sort of gets pushed into becoming kind of a gigolo sort of deal. And there's this older woman who comes in backstage after one of the model shows and... Is clearly hitting on Warren, and at this point, Warren has not gone full gigolo yet. And there seems to be there's something going on between her and Susan, uh, who is his boss. And the the older woman hands Susan this uh, stack of money, and in a close up overdub, she says, "I want two million dollars U.S. or something," and like trying to like crowbar in the counterfeit thing going on, but. Clearly, she's just buying a night with Warren. Yes,
1: of course. (laughs) That's well spotted, because clearly he isn't at all. Like, uh, yeah, he he isn't the cop in the original. And I mean, that that would be super surprising if that was an undercover hell movie. But uh, there's about 1% chance that that it is. So, so well spotted. And I mean, it's fun. It's funny. Like, the movie drives itself nicely forward. And mostly the IFT footage does. But those moments are... Fun because you and I are into the fact that these are products too, market products. So that doesn't like stall anything. It's just fun to kind of pick up where they creatively were, like like where their heads were creatively and how they kind of, as you said, crowbar in uh, the uh, plotting that they decided upon. But but there is some like jarring, f- further jarring edits. Like we never find out really why Warren is super distraught all of a sudden being in this undercover drunken hell. There's a scene at a club where he's clearly just dead in the face and he's, uh, he gets drunk and clearly this is driving him mad. So I wonder if the footage missing is him having tons and tons of sex with various clients and uh, that's why he's all worn out and mad and distraught. So, But the, there are some jarring cuts here. That isn't, uh, it's the same in the long IFD version. So it's uh, not explained furthermore there. Yeah, so, so, so it's not an emotional, like, uh, affecting undercover hell movie or anything, but uh, it's it's clear, it's concrete, it's like we understand it, and again, that's always a plus for these movies, that we can quote the plot pretty easily, I think. It's pretty easy to summarize, which is um, a good thing.
0: Hi, Philip. Bruce here. Have you got that photo of Jason Hart? Right here, boss. What do you want me to do, huh?
1: Let's speak a little bit about the long version versus versus the short and my theory and rather the theory that my friend had that I'm now delivering via him. Thanks to him. As we said, there is an 85-minute version uh, Paul speed on UK DVD and we watched the 68-minute widescreen version that I think is from French VHS, but I might be wrong. Regardless, it's a full widescreen version. And it's missing about 17 minutes in the middle of the movie. It happens right about after, if you remember this scene, after Warren visits Judy in the hospital after her suicide attempts. Mm. And in your version, so to say, on, on the DVD that uh, that I watched as well, the Ninja of the Mission Force DVD, it cuts to Four Eyes or Albert or whipping Lily. It's in the middle of the scene. Well, there's stuff in between here. In the full version, we get a series of scenes from the Taiwanese movie with Warren, Judy, his girlfriend, David, the brother, and Lily, which is uh, sort of a girl in the modeling stable that Warren meets and has sex with as well. It's uh, we, we get a scene of uh, a distraught David because his sister... Um, I think it's his sister. No, can't be his sister. Oh, well... Regardless, he's distraught about Judy's uh, suicide attempt. And he's riding on a motorbike together with some other characters. And they're kind of drunkenly terrorizing this woman. They're like circling her on the the streets. And Warren interrupts and kind of goes, David, what are you doing? What are you doing? I don't want to talk to you. And it leads to like this prolonged beach fight scene in the water between them. And not a kung fu scene, but them fighting. And the woman David is with saying for about two or three minutes, stop it, stop it, stop it. it, just goes on and on and on and on and on. After that is done, that leads to the deleted sex scene on the 68 minute version with David and this unknown woman he has with him, because there's all the reason in the world, after all of this drama, to have another terrible sex scene. It's kind of an exploitation movie, the original one essentially, like he it, it, it wants to get the viewers in, and they promise an adult time.
0: See, that's why I like it so much.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's. It, I, I like transparency that that way, even though the scene itself isn't necessarily, you know, hot or anything. Not no, oh, God no. <laughs> but uh, do you remember the uh, deleted IFD scene, the deleted ninja fight that um, isn't there in the uh, sixty-eight minute version? If you want to describe that,
0: it's another one of the scenes where they nab one of the the ninja baddies, and uh, they're setting up a sting some sting or other, and uh, the baddie escapes. Richard Harrison ninjifies, captures him, attaches him to a tree, uh, runs off. Andy and John come over and find him. He's all dressed like a ninja in black. They're like, what's the deal? Richard Harrison, in his civilian clothes, walks back up and goes, good job, men. you found him. Uh, well done. And they're like, well, what's He's dressed, why is he, another guy dressed like this? And he's like, oh, well. Must be another costume party, and then like walks off.
1: <laughs> and uh, the actor who plays the ninja is a recurring face uh, both at IFD and Filmark. His name is uh, Shun Kwok Ming. He's in Diamond Ninja Force, among other things, I think, and I think I've seen it in a couple of Filmark movies on screen as well. So, they're, uh, and a very good martial artist. He, one of the fights in Diamond Ninja Force has him demonstrating like a pole, I think, before the the ninja fight. So he's a good uh, stuntman and actor to have around in that regard. Uh, we get another scene with uh, Bruce, or uh, uh, well, rather Susan the ninja, enters, gets the retina scan thing, and enters and uh, watches Bruce talk about they've lost three men, and uh, blah blah blah, the usual ninja, die ninja, we, we complete our task, and all of that. Towards the end of this chunk of 17 minutes, it's actually a chunk of 17 straight minutes, uh, we see a club scene where Four Eyes, or Albert, the elder gentleman, is uh, the fact that we see the fact that Lily is his lover that uh, Warren has bedded. And uh, Warren is kind of like, oh my god, I kind of liked her. And they dance, and it's kind of a forced dance because they're all looking at him. And then someone hands Four Eyes photos of Warren and Lily together, which sets up the fact that all of a sudden Four Eyes is whipping Lily in the bedroom scene that we cut right into in the 68-minute version. So, so we kind of find out why in a latter scene, 4 I sense, he, he says to Warren, like, I, I've delivered a present to your house, and he runs home, and as a matter of fact, he has delivered those photos to Judy and David, but we never see the reasoning why in the 68-minute version. And here's the theory of what happened. A reel got uh, lost or accidentally wasn't included, because 17 minutes is akin to a reel, essentially.
0: Yeah, it sure is.
1: So it's just it's just gone. They for who would, who whatever if they had it, who knows? But it's not there. That reel is simply not included. It's almost a good cut. Like we, it would be better if we had the top of the scene where Four Eyes says, "Like are you sleeping with Warren? Is he better than me." But we don't see that dialogue. We he just has his belt out and keeps whipping her, and uh, that's what we see in the sixty-eight minutes version.
0: That's really interesting. Now it seems unlikely that a reel would change in the middle of a scene. But nevertheless, it's a pretty good theory. That's,
1: uh, that's what intact, what is intact on the UK DVD, but not on the 68-minute version that you can find on YouTube and on its DVD.
0: Uh, we caught another one of those guys that you said don't exist. What were they called? Ninjas? Possibly he was on his way to a costume party? Be serious.
1: Like I'm a fan of Taiwanese movies, but there's and uh, a variety of genres, of course. But there's no, it it wants to be kind of fairly gritty and affecting as a melodrama, and there's no good push there. But it's a few years after that short push of social realism and female revenge, so they were settling into making sort of generalized genres again, and it would lead into more art house and things like that from filmmakers like Ang Lee or. Hosha Shen and um, Edward Yang, of course, also. So it, it's a little bit after the uh, that Boom that I'm quite a fan of. That and that Boom ended up being source movies in a variety of IFT and film movies. There's, uh, how do you think? Uh, what do you think of the ninja gadgets that are put forth here? Because there are a fair amount of them, not just the swords.
0: Sure. Yeah, you've got uh, you've got the blow dart. Uh, the final scene has well, if you count motorcycles, there's motorcycles. Um, there's a few kinds of throwing stars. Uh and there is a uh comma that becomes a uh what's it called? Like a Kusurigama. The it's like a comma with a chain attached to it. Um and it just kind of like pops out. Um, which by the way, I got one of those for Ninja the Mission for season two because I love that scene so much.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a it's a cool influence that uh, Godfrey Ho probably never anticipated. So that's probably good, good on you to extend the, the love for Ninja the Protector that way. Oh, oh, by the way, uh, I need to go back to that. Uh, We'll we'll quote it, of course, in in the uh, soundbites that we play. But when Warren visits Judy in the hospital after her suicide attempt, and he's kind of confessing that that he's sorry about everything, at least as dubbed, that's the most insincere confession of his love to her that I've ever heard.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: (laughs) I realize I love you, and you and me should be together forever. Judy, I love you. I never realized how much. Can you please forgive me, Judy? I'll stop modeling. We can be together. You're all I want now, forever and ever. It's 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 essentially that flat, which uh, which was enjoyable for me because Warren is not an evil guy or anything, but it's kind of doomed, of course, that um, this whole violent circle that eventually he he enters. It's uh, so we dealing with doomed characters here in general to just finish my thoughts on action i suppose like there's energy in the action scenes that are done with simple means of course like the camera zooms and uh, you know fast editing and zooms and quick cuts but godfrey and the action team energy is still good all throughout i think it's good all throughout like the tiny fight scenes that we get are all good fun and it it leads to obviously a little bit more epic of an end fight scene again involved, involving motorbikes so i i think there's a good standard set with ninja the protector that uh, we don't see in all of these uh, movies a good action standard that again i think is underrated when it comes to ift yeah because people like, you know like to poo poo on these movies and not to judge anyone's tastes or anything but i think that's an, uh, an element that never gets really celebrated as such um maybe people never committed to their memory because it lasts so damn uh, it's so brief who would forget the ending on this movie though
0: i've done it boss it's all over lily's been
1: killed ifd has never done it again i think so it's unique for them but we can talk about other aspects if you still have other notes on other parts of the movie but still go over the ending a little bit And what's your thought on the motorbike jousting that happens here
0: well, it's, I mean, just like you say, it's its motorbike jousting. It's amazing.
1: Out of the blue. Like, okay, who knows if they were kind of influenced by the original movie because David has a, has a fascination with motorbikes. So they kind of, well, that's an idea. Does anyone have
0: motorbikes? And they're in their full ninja garb on, like, Kawasaki motorcycles. Um, I think they are sadly not Kawasaki ninjas, uh, which would be amazing. <laughs> they hurl stuff at each other. They throw throwing stars at each other while on motorcycles. I think they might clash swords, all kinds of great stuff. And then they teleport to this beautiful gazebo to fight and then finally out in uh, some park. And it's fantastic.
1: Yeah, they're on, um, again, the IFD tropes. They're on in a playground and on playground equipment, either in this finale or in one of the earlier ninja in action scenes, which never looked like Hardcore, cool action settings, but they kind of settle on that playgrounds are a thing. We can make that work, <laughs> you know. We, and and it, it was always fun to see them turn up on these uh, playgrounds and um, fight for whatever they were fighting for. Especially when um, I, d- I don't know if they ever did this in a movie, but uh, regardless, in some movies there were always some formula or some plan that uh, the bad guy wanted and the good guy wanted and they put it in a tree and then they fight and uh, and I, I seem to remember one of those movies was on a playground and in the end whoever wanted the vhs with the secret plan on it got it and then walked off and the end
0: to live the life of a ninja is a sacred way to live this i know
1: you are a good ninja remember the ninja empire shall be supreme it doesn't happen here but it's a it's a fantastic exit uh the, the movie uh when the movie ends it ends quick but uh, richard harrison gets in a fantastic uh, exit i think here and uh so fantastic that we used it for our outro to this show and it's not something special really after he's defeated well it's pretty special how he defeats it defeats bruce not it. pretty clever he uses this smoke screen and and bruce keeps and uh, his boy in his double keeps uh doing backflips uh and Within the smoke screen, he throws a ninja star and gets him that way. I thought I was rather clever. Ah, uh-huh. I get it. It makes sense. Within the whole, I've seen ninjitsu, I suppose. Bruce is sitting there dead, I presume. He's sitting on his knees, and Richard Harrison walks up and says.
0: I am the champion of the ninjas.
1: And then our wonderful score hits again that you hear at the end of this show. It's good fun. It's good fun. The Taiwanese movie may not rock my world or anything. It has some weaknesses and some some awful scenes. But when combined with the IFT footage, it's uh, pretty good fun. I was never bored about with anything that was going on. The the Taiwanese movie interested me in, in terms of how it connects to IFT. And that's why IFT is creating the interest here and not the original makers necessarily. Absolutely. So that, that's kind of it in my notes. Anything else you want to mention?
0: Um, well, keep an eye out uh, in um, one of the houses for a very, very early lolcat. The the house that um, Susan gives to Warren has a, a picture of a cat hanging on the wall uh, with a little caption that says, Everybody has a right to my opinion.
1: <laughs> and that's the, in, the, in the original footage too. So. Yes. <laughs> wow. I'm going back now and checking it. It's probably more visible on the UK DVD because the widescreen print is not very sharp or anything. And that leads us into availability. And again, we watched this movie as a 68-minute widescreen edit of the film that I think originated on French VHS. Correct me if I'm wrong. It got uploaded to the internet with English dubbing, though, and it also ended up as a bonus movie on Ed's Ninja Mission Force Season 2 DVD. But if you want the full 85-minute IFD version, there is still... A
0: UK released cropped to full screen DVD out there, and it's fairly cheap. So here's the thing: is that um, there is at least in, in the in the states, you can get the cropped full screen um, 85 minute version through a couple of a couple of DVDs. I think well, at least one might be out of print, but you can still get it. There are many versions where you can get the 68 minute widescreen print, except that it has been squished to full screen and is all out of out of whack. And so that's why for my release I made sure that it's that version, but it is it has the correct aspect ratio for the entire runtime.
1: Yeah, and, and I think that that full screen print, I think if it was to be corrected, I think we would be closer to maybe a 1.78 frame uh, approximately. Like on those UK DVDs they never really got the aspect ratio right. Even the trailers, the excellent trailers that they include look to be superb quality full widescreen trailers but they were all squished into the 4x3 frame and everybody looked super elongated so gotcha. if you put it, if you put it in 69 it looks a little bit better but uh, so th- those dvds are fairly cheap i got mine as late last year along with ninja terminator the ultimate ninja and those prints are still pretty good they look they don't look vhs like they're from vhs they look like they're fairly sharp film prints cropped but still fairly sharp film prints so uh, that's at least the um sh- they deliver sharp material ift and some of them are partly widescreen
0: ditto on the um uh, on the us dvd releases they're they're pretty clean
1: so that's that ninja Web protector done and dusted and it comes recommended and you can find it so uh let's take a short musical break and after that it's time for my favorite ninja not, not ninja regular modern day thriller action picture using the cut and paste formula and it's called Majestic Thunderbolt from 1984. And uh, while you listen to a little bit of break music, search out the trailer for Majestic Thunderbolt. It's one of my favorite IFD trailers. There's tons of Trailer Man nonsense and the title repeated a lot. I think a lot more than (laughs) usual. So so, uh, that's no ordinary trailer. That's a little in-joke for those of you who know the Trailer Man voice in For that particular trailer. But we're taking a break. And we'll be back to review that movie. And welcome back and it's time to review the second favorite in this favorites show and it's my favorite, Majestic Thunderbolt from 1984 and plot from my review of the film so excuse the poor nature of it. Mixing together the plot of Richard Harrison's character seeking his stolen diamonds and after revenge for people going after his woman. The target is Franco from the other movie, I don't know the actor's name, but Richard settles for going after his men, because he can't go after Franco, he's in the other movie. And in the end Philip Coe is his target, who for unexplained reasons practices black magic. A climax awaits involving chickens, guns and swords. All while Alan, Qian Peng or Rock Chien from the other movie, working for Tiger Chan, played by Chen Quan Tai, is on his own revenge path of sadistic proportions. And for my quick opinion, again it is my favorite cut and paste movie. It has teeth both in the Godfrey Ho footage, since all characters are bad guys, including Richard Harrison. But the Taiwanese footage is superbly violent and graphic, and while it's not the greatest revenge story ever told, it's teeth is compelling and also what is compelling is an engaged richard harrison also some stylish godfrey ho footage makes its way into this but it has a bunch of creative lunacy for me that makes this a winner so that's my short opinion what do you think of majestic thunderbolt
0: i like it quite a lot um you know if i have if i only have one complaint about it it's the uh the animal cruelty with the chickens at the end so you know be warned some chickens get shot but no otherwise i really quite like it as you say engaged richard harrison is uh it's always a great sight. Um, seeing him actually give a damn uh, is marvelous and adds to the energetic quality of the film.
1: Yeah, it's early on, so he wasn't uh, dead within and in the face just yet. Watch Ninja Commandments. That's when it had happened. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so so short notes uh, first. The source movie we can finally identify. Well, not we. Someone else did. But uh, someone at working uh, with Hong Kong Movie Database uh, staffers or someone just contributing. Finally, I did the Taiwanese movie. I always knew it was a Taiwanese movie, but there weren't any entries for it. I knew a couple of actors in it. Shen Kuan obviously, huge. Chen very frequent Taiwanese actor. But finally, it's identified, and it's from 1982. It's called Red Rattlesnake, uh, directed by Hoi Sing Yu. And despite the very recognizable cost, it remained, as I said, a no-show in the database where we can finally say what a brutal pickup was. But my first question to you, uh, you, you know IFT's history a little bit, so you know that they started both distributing movies in whole, but when they started the cut-and-paste line, they didn't, didn't start with ninjas. They started with modern-day action thrillers. Uh, Mission Thunderbolt, for instance, was the first one, and this one. And Scorpion Thunderbolt, of course, uh, which mixes in sort of horror. They did ninjas after this, and then they essentially jumped back to modern action thrillers again. the switch back to it. I thought that switch back to it was weak. It uh, revealed weakness in the IFD formula. Godfrey Ho's filmmaking influence felt missing when they started doing this American Commando or American Mission movies. They were fun, but not as fun. But uh, what's your take on that when they went back to the modern setting sans ninjas?
0: Yeah, I agree. They were definitely weaker, and I think a lot of that was... Uh, the lack of, say, Richard Harrison's star power. Um, it's also a lack of Godfrey Ho. The the energy wasn't really there. There are exceptions. Some of the Pierre Kirby stuff is quite good. Yep.
1: Thunder, thunder of Gigantic Serpent, obviously, being a monster movie originally. That has color, of course. But 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 the IFD footage is a lot of fun. Like, it's quotable, like you read about it, because Pierre Kirby, the myth called Pierre Kirby brought a sense of... Uh, Wisecracking '80s hero to uh, to most of his performances at the IFD,
0: but uh, but there were some that just kind of featured young guys with no real obvious attributes. So you know you combine that with weak writing and weak visual storytelling and sort of haphazard and and lazier cut and paste stuff. Um, in comparison to what is uh, admittedly kind of lazy cut and paste stuff and even some of the best IFD material, but by comparison, uh, it's just it's it's weak. It's not as good.
1: We opened at seemingly some kind of SeaWorld during the opening credits. It's random footage, of course. That's going to make up the, the credits. But it was usually Hong Kong cityscapes. But this time, it seems like they they have a deal with SeaWorld or something. That we're going to show off the attraction of Hong Kong. And it's hardly evil and bad badass setting up the urban action warfare that's going to go on here.
0: Usually, usually we get uh, a nice shot from uh, Victoria Peak. In
1: Hong Kong. It's, uh, we, we see Richard Harrison and uh, he of course claimed that he shot one movie for IFD in for Hill And we have kind of debunked that pretty easily because obviously throughout these movies he's, his hair changes from brown to blonde being out in the Hong Kong sun I guess. And he obviously has no mustache in some movies. And the, this one seems like one they, they're using kind of a section of Richard Harrison they shot for during a particular time. It's not like widely different than his hair is blonde in one scene and dark brown in another scene. So it seems like uh, they used uh, what they shot during a week or two for Majestic Thunderbolt immediately, so to say.
0: You'll have to be punished. You want it there? All right here. Please boss, don't kill
1: us. It says Alan Wong and Danny Chang as action directors on this, but I wouldn't be surprised if Philip Koh directed action and uh, there's a good reason to talk of action because the after Richard arrives to, uh, to Hong Kong yeah, after his flight from Europe and he must be a bad character because he's impatient and he kind of think the flight sucked uh, How was your flight?
0: Just lousy. The flight from Europe for too long. Tell me John how are things going here? Ah uh, not bad but uh, Philip Cohen and Mr. Frank, are playing hey. games uh oh, damn me. <laughs> that makes me a bad guy, too.
1: <laughs> like, uh, there's an evil and badass lurking here. But we get a pretty fine fight in the parking garage with several atmospheric shots, like um, one character en- enters into smoke, the smoke around him in the parking garage. Yeah. And, and there's some vicious stuff here, like uh, uh, access versus, obviously, n- people that aren't armed, and even greatly executed blood effects there's a guy who gets axe to his back i suppose off screen but the blood that comes up from beneath the frame the timing is good and richard is shown to be a very fine brawler and his eyes are intense he's into this it's such good fun and it's brutal and pretty stylish and even Cofe, philip Co, his intro is pretty stylish you see his foot uh, Coming out of the car and uh, it uh, gets splashed, so to say, into the water that's uh, kind of uh, reflected and all of that. So there's some atmospheric stuff here. When I think of Majestic Thunderbolt, I'm, I think often of this scene where they are setting up shots and are trying to create somewhat of a dark atmosphere, you know. Speaking of Richard, therefore, and that, that's my question to you, and you kind of alluded to it, but let's talk of it anyway. How does Richard fare? Like, does he look engaged in this early stage at making movie according to him or movies at IFD?
0: yes absolutely unfortunately i don't have a whole lot more to add to it but it's just it's just nice to to see him looking like he cares and so being being tough and using his acting Yeah, because he obviously was
1: an experienced actor and uh, for for many decades and uh, it's um, one of the few movies if maybe the only one where richard plays a bad guy i can't think of any, uh, any other Character. I don't, his Scorpion Thunderbolt character was not bad, but he was kind of sleazy and cursy, I remember. Yeah. <laughs> Which is another movie we'll cover, certainly. But uh, as great as Kofé's entrance is, because uh, they're, they're out to rob the diamonds that uh, R- Richard is carrying with him. He They get Richard down on the ground, I suppose, and he uh, gets out of the car. And all that build up for one tiny little kick. Pew. <laughs> and then they get these diamonds. Like, they don't, like, beat the shit out of him or anything. It's just, like, they kind of push him a little bit. And then the diamonds are stolen, so...
0: He's very fragile.
1: I don't know if you spotted, but our lead from Ninja Vip Protector is, has a supporting role here as well, Walun. He is uh, the first one who gets uh, the guy with the glasses, uh, maybe the son of Chen Quan Tai's character, but he gets... Uh, it's the first one that's assassinated by the men in black, essentially. Oh so it looks a little bit different with glasses of course but uh, that is Wa Lund, and therefore despite not having the ability to identify Ninja Ver Protectors source movie, judging by the fact that Walloon, who is in a bunch of Taiwanese movies was in there, leads me to believe that it is a Taiwanese production, here we know it is a Taiwanese production, so that, but he is—he uh, has a bit part to this he's also the um, rapist in Deadly Darling, aka The Lady Avenger, which was an IFD pickup that they distributed complete Oh, so, yeah. so 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 he's to play a lot of bad guys that's why his role as warren is very uh, jarring to me <laughs> because he has a kind of a face that uh, fits bad guys i think a little bit more
0: he's also in um uh the taiwanese miss 45 and i i can't remember who he plays in that he's but... the
1: photographer that she shoots a uh, the similar scene from miss Forty Five. oh
0: yeah that is him good call Speaking
1: of the Taiwanese movie and uh, the Taiwanese movie in this case, I, I doubt partly, but we'll, we'll, we'll get to why only partly, that a lot of restructure was done to Red Rattlesnake. As usual, you just needed to edit Richard into it. Uh, times and dialogue about Richard seeking his diamonds, his stolen diamonds. I, I have seen examples of seeing the Source movie versus the IT movie where it's almost verbatim as they dubbed it versus the subtitles. So sometimes they... They just used the story like ninety percent of it, and then dubbed in, you know, Ninja every now and again or Richard every now and again. Having said that, it seems like a significant character is missing in this re-edit of Red Rattlesnake because if you look at the lobby cards and the stills posted on Hong Kong movie database, we get essentially very um primary photos of a girl in a bikini, kind of bound by ropes or chains. And that's possibly our leading female lead, uh, Chimpo. She is nowhere to be found in Majestic Thunderbolt. Nowhere to be found. Mm. And male characters like uh, Chen Peng's character, Rock Tian and Chen Kuan Tai, they are there on the original poster along with her original TIE poster. I think there's a TIE poster on the site that I just mentioned. So this might be a good example of IFD hiding a good amount of the original, really extracting stuff they like and just deleting stuff completely with no reference whatsoever to what seems like a key component of Red Rattlesnake and that definitely makes you want to watch the original if it is ever found in a watchable version. Yeah, like uh, you you see the snake torture scene in *Majestic Thunderbolt*, where Alan has, you know, snake crucifies a guy yes but the lobby card shows that he has more victims lined up <laughs> you know because he's uh, he has snakes all around him and there's this woman in the lobby cards from the original that has a snake down her blouse and stuff like that so that scene apparently goes on that's that's interesting that's it uh, makes a uh, red rattlesnake very intriguing uh, both as a brutal piece but what seemingly isn't there
0: well now feeling a bit less demanding now
1: huh <laughs> let's uh, move a little bit on to uh, how 5D edits itself into the movie and how they try to create a solid illusion that this is one. There's an early scene where Richard Harrison, after having his diamond snatched from him, he calls his either girlfriend or sister, I kind of was unclear of this, to get out, you know, to flee, and because they're coming for you. Cut to actor Wei Ping-O and Henchman in the original beating a woman up and uh, killing her, eventually. Which is a solid evolution and uh, merger merging of ifd and the original taiwanese footage it's a good example and there's several well, several maybe a few other good examples where ifd edit themselves really well into the original
0: that was a good that was a good moment um also um i believe it's supposed to be his uh, girlfriend because some character refers to her as his woman like you shouldn't have killed his woman
1: it's you. You are absolutely right. It's very, very well made. But it also also shows this nasty, gritty streak early in the Taiwanese footage because the sister fights back, and I think she either stabs someone or stab, gets stabbed. She she gets killed, and the uh, the cinematic like language, the camera language is very loud and intense. Uh, it it's not revolutionary, but I. There's a belief here that loud and intense and gritty will, and very violent will translate well. And I think they do translate that well because it's genuinely kind of a distressing at points how violent this um, original movie gets. It's one of the, therefore one of the most violent IFD products there, there is. I mean, the, the, this is not light and wacky ninjutsu. This is a pretty damn series. And IFD therefore kind of, I guess, told told themselves that we can be pretty explicit ourselves, especially sexually. Uh, but but Franco, getting back to Franco, hardly an intimidating character with this this big afro. He's not black or anything, but he's a, he has a big hairdo anyway. The moustache and uh, always with a cigarette holder and walking around in his bathrobe and trimming his bushes. That's an intimidating bad guy for you, Ed. I think that's I think that's my uh,
0: my great uncle or something. I don't know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Franco is uh, you know he does some evil things and uh, he's one of those characters. I don't know. He's so rich that he does whatever he wants. So for some unknown reason. He has a team of synchronized swimmers on his property as well. What's that about it?
0: <laughs> I, I don't know, but they do their swimming to a disco version of Rondo Alaturka.
1: That, that, that's probably IFTS soundtrack because uh, uh, probably not from the original, but it's no, it's no, 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 so no. it's so like oh that's that's cute. He likes synchronized swimming, or maybe he doesn't. He was
0: a Taiwanese Busby Berkeley. Come on,
1: it certainly makes for noticeable cinema, of course. Uh, but uh, he while they perform for him, he uh, poisons one of his uh, two of his uh, henchmen, and they do some goofy dying of poison acting, which I always enjoy. whether ah, ah, and then dies uh, with some like uh with some white foam coming out of their mouth and then they're gone it's it, that may be goofy but when walon is uh, executed um, like this loud and brutal execution again loud orally He's shot with several gunshots and the squibs rigged up on the actors, gloriously big. Like I, I, I like like when squibs are done right in that regard. And uh, it's it, it has a nasty streak to it. Uh, you know, I, I don't necessarily know all of your like uh, what you like and what you don't like in terms of movies. So is this really loud, brutal, violent darkness uh, appealing to you at all?
0: I would say instead that it was effective for the film. I mean, it's a little bit jarring because it's just this massive overkill uh, because he's not assassinated by just one guy. He's assassinated by a troop of guys. But the thing is that it's it's a, a murder that's supposed to set up the rest of the action of the film and so it needs to be powerful and it is
1: it's the brother of alan uh, which we find out pretty early so um, the latter sword fight sequence or um however how you call it what do you call it when you call, when you fight with these kind of swords uh... oh fencing yes fencing thank you that footage is reused later i think i've seen it in scorpion thunderbolt where Richard Harrison either talks with the guy who, f- who he fences with in the first scene or second scene, or that second scene is reused entirely in Scorpion Thunderbolt. So Scorpion Thunderbolt has a little bit of different uh, Richard Harrison hair. I didn't remember that. Nice catch. I watched way too many of these things, and I remember stupid things like that. So
0: If Frank ever found out about us, we'd be in real trouble. Oh, God, let's not talk about him. That's really such a drag.
1: It's, speaking again of Red Rattlesnake, uh, before I was uh, not I but before it was identified by other people. I was uh, confused if there was one or several source movies here. There might still be but there is a sequence where someone uh, talks of Philip Kofé's character and how he came from the USA and blah 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 and you cut to a sort of training sequence with him shooting melons with a gun and his partner or girlfriend using a bow and arrow to kind of shoot and release these melons so he can shoot them on cue. And that is actress Lily Lee, a veteran female actress of the 70s and 80s. And it always seems so foreign to the movie, but uh, they are those two, that duo. They are in the original movie. So here's a case of Philip Kofay being a working actor both at IFT and Filmark shooting footage for IFD as well as appearing in the original movie, and it doesn't look that widely different because they were shot like two years apart or something like that.
0: Oh, that was in the that was in the original film. That wasn't. It seems like that. I mean,
1: because of the fact that because uh, there is a latter sequence that's very dark on our version, but where this duo is kind of having this fight, that maybe a dock or something like that is very dark, so you can't see it. But if you look at uh, the stills again, below the still of uh, the snakes there is a still of Kofi and Lily Lee both in red oh, yeah. and uh, that is uh, that, that it, he, ha- he has a moustache for some reason Kofi in that footage but it's supposed to be a flashback footage in IFD's um, hands so uh, I guess that makes sense uh, so it's. Uh, I always thought it was separate, but it seems to be part of Red Rattlesnake. There is an aura of mystery around it still. But in general, what's your impression, again, in, gen- in, in general, looking at the footage available to us of Red Rattlesnake? And wh- how do you think they edit themselves into it in terms of, like, like, is there skillful editing present here? Uh, if we talk a little bit more what happens after the, the example we talked about.
0: I mean, yes, it's definitely some of their more skillful work because it's some of their more early work. Uh, there are still plenty of sequences that feel very standalone and separate. And I can never tell anymore, uh, really, if I uh if if I can tell because I know, or if it's uh a movie flow problem because I have I've like injected IFD into my bloodstream uh too many times. Uh so you do get some of the kind of wackier scenes that don't necessarily match like Richard Harrison beating up a guy on when he's on roller skates with a baseball bat. Oh, or something. I love the graffiti in the background. Fuck the comics. <laughs>
1: I didn't see that. That's amazing. Like they've shot that this kind of overpass. It looks like a couple of times, and I think that was just that. It was present there in English in the scene. Obviously, they are shooting this in Hong Kong, and it says when, like in the background, uh, it's not very visible, but you can pretty much see it. Fuck the commies.
0: <laughs> it's yeah. So there's there's the occasional like goofy tonal shift. On the other hand, there are other IFD cut and paste movies from I believe the earlier days, like. Ninja Thunderbolt, um, which features crazy antics with tiny cars and roller skates, that is original movie footage. So you know you can't really say for sure.
1: It, it gets confusing sometimes, which I guess is a sign of them doing their job fairly well. It's also confusing us, even in 2015.
0: And what I, you know, and what I really mean is that you know you can never tell just from tone. Uh, where it lies and you have to kind of look at the other elements as well. So, so yes still more skillful but not I'd say 100% convincing. Damn you bitch you know I can't get it up. You get what I want when I'm ready. <laughs> well what we still get here is obviously again Franco he's
1: evil but he's impotent so he takes out his sexual urges through whipping and therefore we have an exploitation movie on our hand here which has no true reason for existing other than being noted like uh, we, we don't it's not affecting characteristics here. That uh, Franco is impotent and takes out his sexual urges that way. It's certainly noticeable and adds uh, like a fe- little bit of ferocious aura to the original uh, footage. Uh, again, there's, uh, we-, we mentioned the roller skate scene. Richard Harrison kills off someone that stole his diamonds. He's in the original fight scene in the parking garage in a dentist chair and cuts off his uh, throat using a dental uh, drill I suppose. I don't sure, I'm don't. i not sure if that looked like dental equipment uh, because it looks like a saw to me but uh, I'm, I'm not sure about that but it, it really is enjoyable seeing Richard scowling and in a variety of evil scenarios uh, which he is uh, clearly comfortable with uh, and uh, provides like a, a fairly big presence you know he was uh, you know obviously he had a bodybuilding background and kept in shape and all of that so it's not uh the performance of the decade or anything but it's such a rare chance to see richard he hasn't started hating godfrey ho and joseph light yet anyway and within the shooting uh, when he shot this movie it looked like he was into the job for for the brief time that uh that it was going on there's no reason by the way for a high-pitched dubber uh, over actor adi sung that's a pretty dangerous
0: assignment mr chen what are you
1: paying? Who's not a comedic relief here, but he's the character that's hired by Chen Kuan Tai to take uh, photographs of uh, uh, a couple having sex uh, as kind of a blackmail scheme. And there's no reason why IFT needed a dubbing him that loud! Yes, Mars! Like, he's, he seems. It, it's one of those <laughs> kung fu comedy dub, dubbing jobs that isn't at all needy. He isn't wacky at all, that character, except for the fact that he needs to retake the Polaroid when he watches this couple having sex and but that, that's not him just chewing the scenery so I always disliked the fact that they dubbed him loudly at Ad, Adisong, who actually appears in a couple of filmark movies both for Mark and in the original Source movies as well so he was kind of like Kofe he was um, there uh, around and uh ready to be uh, to be hired and work i love the taiwan movie but it, it is a slow burner for a while but when the bombing sequence hits uh, the brief cameo by actor chen singh who listens to a radio for the race results apparently there's a bomb in the either radio or the bathroom but the movie kind of just kind of explodes at that moment too because the after effects of him having blown up essentially really brutal really brutal stuff it comes at you with a ferocious aura like uh, and with teeth and there's another bathroom sequence where alan who's a superbly crafty hitman has apparently put acid in the uh, like the shower head so when the character t- takes a shower and he screams ah and he turns the camera that makeup job on that guy
0: ew who are you i'm the angel of death to help you into the next world Of course, it's kind of a silly sequence because he then gets out of the shower like you would do, uh, runs to the door, opens the door, and then the hitman is right there and shoots him. It seems like there was an unnecessary step in this plan. He's sadistic,
1: I'll tell you, and that, uh, of course, uh, you you always—if you remember this movie and you liked it—you do remember Alan's snake crucifixion in a room that. ...seems to have been built for this purpose. I (laughs) will. Because it's a separate room from everything. And this little crucifixion setup where... ...he just starts putting snakes on this poor guy. And I gotta tell you, I don't know about you. Creepy crawlers, spiders, snakes... ...it can give me a heart attack just knowing they exist. I'm not into it at all. And you couldn't make me do what this actor is doing... ...or being forced to do for a billion dollars. Oh yeah, no way! Because he get there, there is there's a live damn snake in his mouth, like you you can see it like a rattle when he s- stuffs it into his mouth, and he's hanging there with makeup on, obviously been affected by the poison, and the snakes are all over him. No way, no way! I'd die right there. I'd have a heart attack in a millisecond. It's one. It's from an era where you don't fake that stuff. You can't fake that stuff. You either put someone, you put snake on someone, snakes on someone, or you don't. There, there's no other way to do it. And from this this era. Of filmmaking you just kind of did it for real hopefully with (laughs) non-poisonous snakes as well i know hong kong cinema and taiwanese cinema it's pretty reckless but i'm hoping these were like defanged snakes or something like that Mm -hmm. but uh, it's uh the makeup job and that that guy's awesome because you see that increasing blue and bruised kind of makeup increase throughout the shots so that that the poison affecting him really quickly and then the aftermath is when he's all dead and the snake is in his mouth. It's just gruesome, and I I, I love it to be I love it to death. I like it's so someone did it. I can watch someone else do it, but I wouldn't do it myself. But uh, you know, as we said, the sequence apparently goes on. He has a woman brought in as well, and he has a an, an assistant kind of holding on to the woman, and he's doing stuff to her as well. We gotta be careful. That Alan Bang is a tricky bastard. His name is Rattlesnake. He's known at the best in the trade. But it intercuts oddly, like that. Uh, you see briefly. Philip Kofay, I think, uh, painting the like incantations on this uh, nude Western lady. We cut to the acid sequence, or maybe the snake sequence, and then cuts back to the black magic sequence and Richard Harrison confronting Philip Kofay, and they have a little sword fight. It's an odd like cut-up of uh, shots. Like there's no reason why Godfrey Ho needs to feature the black magic scene kind of twice in the span of a couple of minutes he could have just featured it all and that kind of awesome fight between richard harrison and philip kofe but uh, those are like examples of editing that i kind of noticed after my six or seven viewing that i'm that i'm currently on but uh he he, he has a good fight with uh Coffey outside it's a little bit undercranked but it looks like richard even in the dark there and they direct exchange, uh, weapons exchange is uh, really good really good they like the if they could have kept this up they they didn't like richard harrison turned Sad Richard Harrison, so he probably wasn't as into mm-hmm. performing in action action choreography, I suppose so like and they also get Richard into a variety of scenarios, which is good like this is not a trope the sequence I just described, but that variety would would end because we, we would go into this, you know, death list template and uh, Richard Harrison popping up every now and again, which was fun, but the vari- you, you could probably see, Ed, that a, a variety is present in both Ninja the Protector and Majestic Thunderbolt that simply wasn't there a year or two later, you know? Oh, yes. Uh, the, the print by, by the way continues to be dark in a couple of sequences so the Taiwanese finale is um, you, you can't really see what's going on They're in this uh, like harbor area or dock area I think yeah. so you can't really see finale after Alan has had this confrontation with Tiger Chan the Chen Kwan Tai character so the, the, there's an additional kind of finale but you can't really see what's going on but, but w- the best editing I think I've ever seen in an IFD movie happens in the sequence where they have a duel how it probably played out was that uh, Rock Chen shot Shen kwantai Tai in the legs and then shot him in the head or whatever. But IFD added themselves into this scene by having Richard Harrison
0: as kind of a sniper taking yeah. the first shot.
1: What did you think of that, Ed? Was it necessary to have Richard there or, or, or did you think it was smoothly done?
0: No, that was smoothly done. And uh, I always like it when you can get characters to interact that closely. Um, in a cut and paste movie, so ne- necessary. Well, necessary is sort of a subjective term.
1: At that point in the story, it's kind of he, his target is now Tiger Chen, I suppose. Uh, yeah. some, sometimes I do get uh, lost, and I even got lost of this following fact Ed. I wonder if you remember this. Did Richard ever get his damn diamonds back? I'm not sure, actually. <laughs> I have no idea because he do- he doesn't leave like the beach, like the action finale, at the beach. With the diamonds, like I found my diamonds. do Like it doesn't end like that. Because you fool, she's waiting for you in hell. So I guess Franco found out about it. The whole ending is bizarre. It's totally bizarre. Again, they have a graphic movie underneath, so I have to shoot some graphic movie of their own, including uh, Philip Kofey as this black magic practitioner having intense sex with this Western lady.
0: It's so sweaty. Oh my gosh, you've never seen a sweatier sex scene in your life.
1: Well, Inferno Thunderbolt and this are like, uh, uh, like <laughs> brothers-in-arms or sisters-in-arms <laughs> in terms of that. It's very oily and foggy. Like, they use the foggy lens and they they are super oily. And I, I don't know anything about black magic. But it's clearly done for exploitation purposes. But what happens to the poor lady after Kofey has had his way with her? Gone. Yep. Like, I, I suppose he's going to drink her blood to be filled up with spirit and being able to defeat Richard Harrison that way. The movie had... The movie isn't about black magic, Godfrey, but it's a noticeable sequence, and people love sex, I suppose. We're gonna shoot that.
0: I mean, you know, he doesn't necessarily have powers. He just he's some he's probably just kind of some sort of crazy serial killer like baddie, and that's this is just what he does.
1: Because the finale isn't showing him being like uh, bulletproof or anything. Like uh, it's a regular fight, right? That uh, I mean. Again, what were they thinking? Maybe they're thinking, was well, these are so hard and bad characters that just like the Ninja Empire would kill anything. You Remember the speech from Ninja Thunderbolt? If they rise up, we must kill them. Like, uh, mm-hmm. if they turn against us, those we trusted before, <laughs> let's kill them too. So for some reason, when they're standing there on the beach on opposite ends, they start killing off these poor chickens that are in the scene. There's someone shooting them or blowing them up, essentially. Well, no reason for that whatsoever. It doesn't add to the hard-boiled nature of this gunplay knife fight kind of ending.
0: I feel like someone made a terrible mistake and saw John Woo movies with all of those doves and thought, I've got it. We'll do that, but with chickens.
1: Unfortunately, that can't be true at this point because John Woo had not broke yet. So it's, I guess uh, that's true. it's not even like, uh, we watched his movies. He did that to the, the doves. No, he didn't. He did not shoot the doves. He filmed them. He did not shoot them.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. So, because that would be more like the killer style cliches being being born, and I was like 89 So, Godfrey Ho can't defend his choice either or. But uh, yeah, it's unfortunately what happens. But otherwise, pretty decent, you know, fight gunplay ending. It has decent intensity, you know, just like Ninja the Protector. The energy is there, I think. Like they structure the action choreography. I feel around Richards kind of brawling skills so because they don't uh, double him or anything as far as I can see he's not wearing a mask or anything like that so it works uh, quite nicely for me uh, as the ninja craze was born obviously they started to double Richard Moore because uh, he couldn't do all of that stuff that was required of him but uh, it still was a decent illusion in terms of that when they started doing that uh, hardcore for a couple of years
0: it is my special assignment to send you to hell
1: but yeah that's Majestic Thunderbolt it's inexcusable in some areas but uh, I just enjoy the mix of um, you know bad Richard Harrison and pretty cool Godfrey Ho footage and a uh, very violent and uh, almost grossly violent at points a Taiwanese movie that's uh, that's in my wheelhouse so that's why I return to uh, Majestic Thunderbolt quite uh, quite frequently. But as for availability, there's no budget DVD out there as far as I know anyway. But it's been once widely available on VHS in Germany, in Greece. In Japan, mostly cropped to full screen, except the Olympic video VHS from Greece that features the movie close to 1.85 widescreen. It is cropped. You can see that in the opening credits, like uh, because uh, the cast names are a little bit cut out, but not as much. And there's someone did uh, put this edition up on uh, on the internet. I even saw it on YouTube. Uh, I actually bought the VHS myself in around 2008, so I got it transferred to. DVD-R, but uh, that was not the only copy in the world. And I've heard rumblings that a German company might put out Majestic Thunderbolt on DVD, featuring this version from Greece as a bonus uh, version, because it has embedded subtitles in in Greek. So uh, look for it possibly on DVD um, in the future. And I'll buy it in a heartbeat. So Ed, next time, wanna talk IFD animation? Heck yeah! (laughs) <laughs> if you, Even if you'd answered no, we're doing it anyway, because it's the aspect of IFD's history that I failed to touch upon in our initial run of episodes that went from, you know, Ninja to Kickboxing and Catman. But it is part of their production history that they distributed animated titles, badly animated ripoff titles, mostly, or maybe all of them originating from South Korea. And we're going to pick one regular, and here's where like we can debate what one we should pick, because you know the animated ones a little bit better than I do. I thought maybe Space Transformers, because that has... Isn't that the one where the plot is about aliens working together with the, at that time, North Korean dictator?
0: Oh, that's a good point. Is that I'm not sure if that one's Space Transformers. I, I get the titles confused a lot, but I do know the one you're talking about, and that's an excellent choice. But but
1: you you had another choice that I have not seen yet. What's that suggestion, buddy?
0: Savior of the Earth, also kind of known as Korean animated Tron. Sort of a ripoff of Tron.
1: I'll do that, too. We can return to Space Transformers, of course, uh, uh, if uh, if that was the movie featuring uh, that particular plot line, which is nuts. So you obviously... And I think Space Transformers is the one that's also part of live action, which is nuts, too. There There is one of their animated titles that switches from live action... To animate that footage. I think
0: that one's called Solar Adventure, but I could be wrong. Yeah, you're
1: probably you're probably right. They do get I do get confused, but I kind of half enjoy them a little bit. These they're super short too, so we, we'll pick um, we we'll pick one probably the Tron ripoff. And, uh, my gut instinct says I'll like discussing that, but that's one movie. In the second half, we might as well talk of the granddaddy of them all in terms of the animated titles. And it's called Space Thunder Kids.
0: If, if I might put in my two cents here, I would say it's the descendant of them all.
1: Yeah, it's, it's special, all right. And why is it special? Well, it came late, like in the early 90s. The other ones were a year or two early. And it seems like Joseph Light took all of the animated movies he had acquired at least five or six, put them all in one surreal, mind-numbing mess of a cut-and-paste movie that I graded the highest out of these animator titles I watched. I had a good time with Space Thunder Kids. It messed with me, but I absolutely loved it because it's so... <sighs> what is it that I mean, what can you say without doing the whole review now? Like, why is Space Thunder Kids so what it is?
0: <laughs> because it's baffling. I mean, I, I defy you to uh, to give a synopsis of the film.
1: You do the synopsis. I'll, I'm not going to attempt it. That, that's that's your effing job. Oh no! <laughs> so we'll look at the anima- animation uh, next time, where Korea ripped off uh, some very clearly some anime, Japanese anime properties, not just Transformers, but like. Um, Stuff like Massinger, Six Massinger Six Z, yep. yeah, Z, mm-hmm. yeah, and they're they're pretty open about it because they their characters are called, for instance, Massinger, you know, so it's not like they redub it to something else. At least how IFD dubs it, it, you realize clearly where what, what it's ripping off, essentially. But uh, we'll uh, we'll end our favorites episode with some brief contact information. So this has been the Golden Ninja Podcast on the Podcast on Fire Network. Find this show and all our other shows and bonus episodes on Podcast on Email us if you have any feedback, podcastonfire at googlemail.com. Hit us up on Facebook, leave a like, facebook.com forward slash network. And we have a discussion group that you can join in, uh, join the discussion and follow updates on. It's called Podcast on Fire Network. Our Twitter handle is at Podcast on Fire. And that does it for us. I do uh, reviews on Hong Kong movies, Taiwanese movies, uh, adults, sleazy movies from Hong Kong and Taiwan. And these kind of ninja or modern action cut and paste pictures as well at sogoodreviews.com and i video review at sleekkvideo.com and my twitter handle is at so reviews. and the golden india podcast is available on iTunes and if you want to have it promptly delivered rate and subscribe and leave a written comment if you have something to say about the show we would very much appreciate it and finally stream us on Stitcher Radio uh, they have an online presence but also applications available on the Apple App Store and Google Play and uh, that was not really finally. Now it's finally the G- Golden Ninja Warrior Chronicles blog we'll link to in the show post to Jesus Perez Molina's blog posts concerning uh, the identification of source movies in the ver- in the various IFD and film movies, whether they're Taiwanese, Hong Kong or otherwise. So that's my plugs. Where are you on the web,
0: sir? Well, you can find uh, my films and web series, including Ninja the Mission Force and uh, the DVDs for Ninja the Mission Force, season two of which has Ninja the Protector on it as a bonus, uh, at neonharbor.com. And I am on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Neon Harbor and on Twitter at Twitter.com slash Neon underscore Harbor.
1: Excellent, excellent. And thank you very much for listening. Thank you, Ed, for sharing your love for Ninja the Protector and introducing me fairly late to it. And uh, I I had a favorable response. And it was a good time to go over Majestic Thunderbolt again. So uh, thank you very much, buddy. And uh, we'll see you for the animated... Uh, the the animation extravaganza where I might have nothing to say other than I think I'm going insane (laughs) on the air so we'll see how that goes but for now thank you very much and kids remember I am the champion of the ninjas